Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast hosted by Corey and Shauna Burris. They are a former pastor, a college teacher, and Pacific Northwest coffee lovers. Mostly, they are Jesus followers who find themselves in lots of interesting conversations with non-Christians, former Christians, wondering Christians, and young adults from all kinds of backgrounds. And we want to invite you into those conversations. The Bread and Cup podcast is a place for real talk about the Bible, life, and what it takes to move beyond the easy answers. So let's grab a cup and join the conversation. Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Shauna. And we are recording in the evening. So tonight we are drinking an almond milk latte with honey and having some lemon squares. Yes. Lemon squares are yummy. Lemon squares are wonderful. Yes. It's the weekend, so we get to have sweets. That's true. But uh, I run for sweets. It's a real thing. Yeah. Um, This week, we are going to take on a little heavier of a topic um, and something that has, I think, right now... Uh, is in a very emotional time. So if you're listening to this as these episodes come out, um, we are um, just now coming out of the, there's a, there's a bunch of rioting that's happening throughout the United States. Uh, yeah. It's actually spreading internationally as well mm. over um, the death of George Floyd, which it's not just about his death, but it's about the injustices that have come from his, um, that have been brought to light yet again yeah. in our society. Uh, the Will Smith quote, I, I saw it l- earlier this week, and it said, it's not that racism is getting worse, it's that it's being filmed. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that's quite, I think it's a paraphrase, but yeah. he said something like that. Yeah. And so it's and very true. So and true. so we are now, something that has been part of our society for a very long time and yeah. um, continues to be a part of our society. And instead of kind of saying, oh, that's happening over there. Yeah. Uh, we want to talk about what what does justice look like, right? Um, you see a lot of people crying for justice in the wake of this. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, what we would say is a proper response to that as, as uh, people, but also as followers of Christ, which we are. Yep. Um, and what we think that the Bible talks about on, on that subject. Yeah. Um, so. Although you know. this is, this is a unique take. I think while we have referenced um, the COVID situation in prior recordings, that was sort of a long and ongoing situation con- as of this moment is continuing to ongo- um, going on. Uh, this is this is one uh, direct response to something that's happening. Yeah. So we we are acknowledging this is maybe not a standard episode. It, this is intended to be a direct response. And also, um, we want to take a slightly more personal take on this. Uh, we are going to invite you into a little bit of our own a little more of our own personal history and experience and some of the things um, that we have experienced even just in the last uh, couple of years yeah. that um, have really informed our perspective on this. Yeah. And so bear with us. It's going to be a slightly different episode, but we hope by the end of it, we'll give you at least something yeah. um, that you can bring into your own conversations. And if our, if our voices uh, don't tell the story, you haven't gone to the website, you haven't seen us in person, um, we are two white individuals that grew up in the Midwest in middle-class families for the most part, yep. um, with very vanilla, uh, homogenous, I think is yeah. the kind way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a very homogenized, uh, homogenous upbringing, so to speak. And so, yeah. um, but we did, Sean and I both met in school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, yeah. 
Um, literally, we're watching him, and I have family still that still lives in the Twin we, Cities. We both have family there. That's true. Yeah, yeah we, your sister also lives there. My brother lives there. My mom lives there. Um, my brother uh, the other day called me and he said, "You know, I'm went to the grocery store, and there's there's people that are boarding up the, the grocery stores, and he doesn't mm-hmm. live in Minneapolis downtown where a lot of this is happening, but yeah. things were starting to spread." further and further out um, and the suburbs. And so there was some fear there and some other things, but uh, for us, you know, our school, the the university we went to was right downtown Minneapolis. Um, We went there and uh, the, the target that you, a lot of people have seen on the news that got, that got broken into and then looted and then now is burned down was the target that we actually yeah, would we call go. it our target. Like yeah. it's it's literally the store both of us outfitted our dorms in. The dorms yep. we lived in when we first started dating, when we met some, you know, these conversations, this pattern of conversation, it started there. The people that we love, some of them are are still living and working in Minneapolis. Um, and they are directly experiencing this. So Watching the news play out was um, very much like watching a little piece of our home be impacted, even though we now live out in out here in the Pacific Northwest. And then, of course, Seattle just yesterday right. um, had their own share of very similar riots with, you know, places that are now sort of synonymous to us for this home um, experiencing that. And it's... Um, it is both hard and yet it's actually understandable because of some of the early experiences we had there. There was one of the places we first lived when uh, when we'd first gotten married. So Corey was still attending the university we met at um, when we got married. And we lived on the edge of where three, is it three highways merged or something? I, I just remember it was like, yeah, it was like a, eight a lanes of across them. or yeah. 10 lanes across. I mean, it was just this enormous width of yeah. highways and you could go from and our apartment was right on the edge of it so you could cross over this bridge from our apartment to the other side of where these highways were basically merging all to enter into downtown Minneapolis and just on the other side of that was the predominantly black community right and so i'm sure there were lots of different people of color that lived in that area. Um, but we moved to this college, uh, as Corey said, very white, very middle-class, very, um, homogeneously raised people. And we were plunked into basically the center of downtown and told, don't cross that bridge. You will not be safe there. Yeah. And I remember, so I think that's what, one of the things that people don't think about when they think about Minneapolis is that it actually is very um, divided by cultures. There are many cultures that yeah. live in there and they are very much like small areas that are, oh, this is the Hmong population. This is the the black population lives here. It's and the little Hispanics. Mexico. Yeah. yeah like this oh, is the Hispanic. The best restaurants. Right. Holy yeah. cow, I miss but, that. But like, but the, the city and, and the area around there was very much segregated yeah. in the way that we talk about maybe not by you know laws but definitely sure. by circumstance and yeah, so, especially in the downtown area right. i think once you move out to the suburbs you, hopefully less you saw so. less of that but a very diverse population and again we we lived in minneapolis 
Now it was 16 years ago. Yeah. So I, it's different. I'm I think the lines are different. Things have changed. Whatnot. But but that's part of the history and the very very recent history of that city was that there that there was this clear line, yeah. and there was a clear divide even when people groups would come together. You know, people who lived on the other side of that bridge of course, had to come through what would be considered our neighborhood to get into downtown. And of course, lots of people want to get into downtown. And I remember multiple exchanges of me as this very naive, happy-go-lucky college girl walking to work in downtown um, and feeling the difference between, um, sort of just feeling that difference, being seen as different. Um, there was one time a gentleman stopped me and asked me for directions. And I said, oh yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a block down this way. And then the building's just on your left. And I happened to be walking in that way. So we ended up walking that block together. And I just said, okay, here's your building. And I went to keep walking. And this gentleman said to me, oh, hey, you know, you're, you're, it was so nice of you. Would, could I buy you a drink? Like as a thank you. And I said, oh, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm going to go to work now. And he just looks at me and he says, is it because I'm black? And I was like, no, it's because I'm engaged. And I'd grown up in such a hom homogenous area. I'd grown up in, in a place where even the few, and I will, there were people of color in my high school. Um, so it was not entirely white, but eh, m more so than not. And that was definitely who ran the place. Um, it didn't occur to me that we were all that different. And I had the privilege of it not occurring to me that in anybody with a different hue or tone was all that different. And I brought that with me to Minneapolis. And then I would have an interaction like that. And suddenly I was struck by, well, what, is that a thing? Like, is that a cons... I said no, because I was engaged to Corey and I really liked Corey. And like, I don't go out for drinks because I don't drink. I'm at a Bible college. And like, there was just all these reasons why I would say no, right. not a single one of them. And it wasn't because I didn't see color. It was because I had had the privilege of an upbringing where that didn't, that didn't actually distinguish people from my perspective. Now, I wonder what the people of color in my high school would say about that. Right. But from my perspective, that none of that mattered. We all went to the same football games. We all had the same, you know. Right. And that was so informative to me. It, it really opened my eyes to the idea that I appreciated he called me out on it because it let me answer the question. But it, but I, I still, I mean, this is 20, 23 years later, and I still think about that like, huh. There was something about the culture of that place at that time that the default reason would, right. would not be, no, I'm not interested in. Well, and I think that that, you know, you, I think most people hearing that story or some people hearing that story, I maybe I should say, would say, oh, well, that guy just, he just sees racism when there's not racism. There's, he sees, maybe he sees segregation when there isn't segregation. And I, I used to think that way. Like, I really did. I used to think that, like, well, him, like, why would, why would I choose that? He should assume that I'm not a racist. But here's the thing. I, we have a good friend of ours uh, now, and I've, I feel like I've come a long way in understanding. Yeah. Um, and at least because having we've a, had some friends who are willing right. 
to, to lovingly be like, guys, uh, do you, do you not see, see that? that? Right. <laughs> like, because we can't see that. And that's the yeah. other thing, right? Like we can't, we, yeah. we, we have, we are unable to see that. Right. Um, and so he, he said to me, he goes, Corey, like you wake up every morning. He goes, I wake up every morning and he goes, I remember. And I think about the fact that I'm a black man. Mm. And he said, I guarantee you, you don't wake up every morning and think I'm white. And what, what impact does that have on my life today? And so it's easy to dismiss somebody that says, oh, is it because I'm black? Because for that person, possibly that is the reason that 90% of the things have happened to them that, that maybe were negative, that they have a negative connotation towards. And they are, they are overly aware of it. Because they, they are, be. because they have to yeah. be and because they, they've been, it's been thrust in their face all the, the time. And so they do not feel like, um, they're perceived in an equal manner. Yeah. And again, when we say, I'm just going to put this clarification yeah. in there. When, when you and I talk like this and we say they see this or they see this, we are not trying to speak for people right. of color who've had that experience. We are verbalizing the how we're learning to think about it. We're verbalizing what we're being told and how this is now how we process things differently because people have been willing to share their story with us. So we're not trying to tell their story or make an assumption of how another person of color wakes up in the morning, Um, but simply trying to share with these very white kids, we are trying to process what it means to live in a world that is wholly different than anything we would ever experience. And And how does that inform how we react to this right. because this is this is personal. Minneapolis is personal, not just because that's where so much of our young adulthood happened, where we we were living when we got married and where we had our first child and where we bought our first house. I mean, Minneapolis has our heart because our family is still there. But some of the things that have happened to us in the last couple of years means that this message has our heart. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we are trying to to process that breading cup is a conversation. We're not promising we know the solution. We certainly don't want to speak for anyone else's experience. But but we want to talk about the reality of the way we used to think and the way we're trying to change how we think so that we can reach the point of what biblical justice is. And hopefully in the midst of doing that, challenge ourselves and maybe some people that are listening to just think about it differently. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the words that gets thrown around a lot is the word privilege. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's become kind of part of the vernacular and of, of oh, your white privilege or your this privilege and you don't yeah. check your privilege and all of those things. And I think it's become politicized to some extent where we don't recognize that. And we don't want to yeah. acknowledge that. And so like the other day we were talking about it and I got I got almost like agitated by the word privilege because, again, yeah. it carries other connotations to it that I'm like, I really dislike that word. Yeah. But there is truth in the fact that there are people in our culture, me being one of them, that has advantage over somebody else. Yeah. Right? There are, I have advantages that I didn't earn 
They were just given to me. And it was partially my upbringing. It was partially um, things that were even taught to me that gave me a natural advantage um, that that some people do not have. And sometimes it's based off of their their family. Sometimes it's based off of their um, the culture that they live in. Some of it is actually based off of their skin tone. Some of it is based off of um, uh, things that were taught to them. Yeah, or Or, access to things, access access, to healthcare, access to education, right? Access to access to after school um, programs, whether that be STEM programs or sports. Yeah, Yeah. those are, and then you and I being the couple we are that becomes its own advantage too, right? Because neither one of us then brings along, I mean, we each bring baggage to this relationship, but neither one of us is bringing to the table the need for the other party to adjust to the disadvantages. Right. And so we just live in it, you know, we just add our advantages together. And, And I don't think that you should feel guilt for having advantages because it's not technically your fault, but you have a responsibility yeah. to recognize that the game is different for some people. Yes. The, 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 they're, they're playing from a very different perspective than what you are. And I yeah. say they as whether that's people, anybody else out there, right? Like yeah. people are coming from different advantages and it's, it isn't quote unquote fair. Right. No, the system isn't fair. And in fact, um, I saw a Brene Brown quote this morning, maybe, that said, the system isn't broken. It was built this way. Mm. And that, uh, it is striking. I think that is a profound way to view it because we've, it feels familiar now to talk about the broken system, especially, you know, for you and your job, I'm certain that that must come up a lot. Yes. But for me, you know, when I was studying the public health sphere, we talked a lot about the broken system and we acknowledged the broken system. And then, um, you know, as I focused on the education piece of that public health thing, that just the brokenness of the education system, but to stop and consider it as an, oh no, this isn't, this isn't like it was a good system that has gone awry. This is a system that was actually built to disadvantage some people and to increase the advantage of others. So take those who already have that advantage or privilege and just magnify it while simultaneously actively pressing down. And Um, And I would argue, and I could be wrong here, but this is where we get into some amount of a little bit of political discourse. I think sometimes those systems were built not necessarily to squash other people and to lift yourself up in in the same way, but oftentimes those systems were built to help somebody do better, but because they didn't have the perspective of somebody from that culture or from that part of society, they didn't realize that by by leveraging that, that they were actually doing what you're saying, squashing them down. Yeah. Right? Like, I think a lot of times... They made decisions for their homogenous experience. Right. Which effectively discounted every other type of experience and then just heightened that disadvantage. Exactly. Yeah. So, And I say that only because I think that that 
people get defensive of that and they're like, well, it wasn't meant to do that. It doesn't matter if it was meant to do it. Right. It does do it. And so once Intention we Intention matters. But yeah, the people who made those decisions are long gone. Right. So we're, we're not going to argue about their intention. We will say they did what they thought was best. We're not vilifying them. But we should also not then uphold their decision if we learn that it's bad. Right. And I think that actually circles back to exactly where this started is that so a personal story about us the idea of how did we get to where we are right Mm -hmm. how did we get here and how did we get to where this this place that you and I loved and spent so many really important years really so many hours with really important people that that formed even some of those times formed how we think and function now we're still friends with you know a fair amount of the people we were friends with then and so this place that we love how how did this happen well before we before we sort of share our little take on it i want to share a story so you all as listeners some of you because we know you're our friends and you listen because you love us we bless your hearts for that um, you're very gracious. You are. We appreciate you. Uh, like, follow, share with friends that don't know us and love us. Uh, we are foster parents. We're we're a licensed foster home. Uh, we have a little bit of a unique role, and we can talk about that another time. Um, but we are a foster home, which means that we have the immense privilege. Sorry, babe. Um, Used in that way, I'm okay with it. Okay, so. good. Uh, we have the immense uh, honor of getting a whole lot of different humans coming through our house with different experiences and different backgrounds with one shared experience. They have the trauma of being in care, Hmm. right? Lots of, lots of different reasons that they're in care, but they all share the trauma of being in care. And there was, um, one little person that we had in our home for, um, for our family, at least a, a longer time than we often have a kiddo in our house. And, uh, they had, they had come from every marker that you would say would be considered a barrier or a lack of privilege. This little person had, this little person was, um, a, a, from a family that was generationally impoverished, generationally incarcerated, generationally addicted. Um, they had been they had experienced not um, only neglect, but but neglect and active, horrific um, abuse by people that really should have been their protectors and caretakers. So this this little human, um, by the time we met them, um, really had the deck the deck stacked against them. Yeah, yeah, and yet to say the least. To say the least. Um, and yet this little human was pretty fantastic. He was. Yeah. Smart he is, and fun. Still is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's still on earth. It's cool. Um, yeah. Just not in our house. And we see him every once in a while. Yeah. Um, smart and kind, very affectionate, very sweet, very willing to learn and wanting to engage and wanting to help. And so this... Um, little person had to advocate for themselves and they were under a system where 
the homes they were in and the people making the decision um, didn't look like them and didn't understand their background. Like, just didn't. I mean, sort of theoretically, right? Like, you could look at a case file, but didn't really understand. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have a full understanding of everything either. Yeah, we hadn't even seen the case file. But but even those who had, right. very limited understanding, right? So we're painting this picture of this little human has all the trauma. And then the people making the decision don't understand. And they have, they have lots of reasons to be the ones in charge. Um, but don't actually understand the experience and don't understand this little human well enough the way that we understand our biological kids. Um, we didn't understand him well enough to pick up on his cues, what mm-hmm. he was asking for, what he was needing, because he had a different culture than us, just even his own internal culture of what was good and bad and, yeah. and desirous and you know love languages and all that. And so reached this point where the stress was sort of getting, for the kiddo, was getting higher, acting out a little bit, trying to, you know, trying to sort of advocate for what they needed. And you could see there was the stress and we were doing our level best to, <laughs> to respond and, and create safety. And we reached this point once at, um, at, the, at dinner where this little person had been trying to communicate their need to us. We were the boss. We were in charge. They didn't, he didn't know us quite well or trust us yet, but, but we, we were it and we were not understanding. And that led to an outburst of anger. Understandable. We tried to intervene and intervened in a way that did not create safety because we didn't have the whole story. And so what felt like a a loving, appropriate response to this little person ended up absolutely escalating it to this horrible tantrum that um, amounted to this little person ruining things of their own, like breaking things in their own room and breaking, breaking, ripping things up that mattered to them. And then in the end, um, they hurt themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and like physically, like mm-hmm. they got hurt. And when, and, and of course, my heart was broken. My heart was broken for this little human who was supposed to feel safe in our home, who was supposed to feel loved, who's supposed to be treated with honor and respect and value. And that is just not what happened. And I mean... Not because that's not what we were shooting for, but because that, for whatever reason, right. what we were saying was not translating. And when everything went down in Minneapolis and you, we were sitting and talking, and the first thing I said is, this feels to me like that situation. This feels to me like a community that has had trauma on trauma on trauma disadvantage after generationally disadvantage after disadvantage and you don't just wake up one day and not have that and there's the frustration of it and there's the burden of it and there's the chronic stress of it and there's just the vast unfairness of all of it and then you've got all these people both faceless systems and direct 
people, whether that be employers or community leaders or law enforcement that don't look like you and don't understand you Mm. telling you what to do. And when you say, this isn't helping, this isn't working, they say more of the way we do things will make it better. And at some point, the stress and the hurt and the frustration and the lack of the people who control your life, not understanding you absolutely boils over. Yeah. And unfortunately, what happens is that when that boils over, it boils over on the community around you. And I just, I can't get over that thought. Yeah. I can't get over that thought of the responsibility of those who make the decisions that have the power, that have the history of we had the we had again privilege what did advantage the advantage with that little human of being able to sit down and say i am so so sorry i didn't understand help me understand please help me understand i really just i really want you to feel like an equal member in this house what can we do differently what do you need from us and we could make a different decision right then. Yeah. But it came with lament. It had to start with lament. It had to start with owning. I, I clearly didn't understand what you needed. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get to the, that in just a second, the, the, what do we do? Like, how do we respond? How do we, how do we look at this? And especially from a biblical perspective in terms of when we see injustice around it. But yeah. I but I want to go back to what you were saying about um, this, this explosion that happened, yeah. uh, both literally and, and figuratively in Seattle or in Minneapolis, but also now all over the yeah. in pockets all over the uh, over the world. And 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 talk about the fact that we didn't think that the child's response was the right response we we didn't go it's okay you know that's the way you're supposed to respond in this type of situation right right? we didn't condone it we didn't think it was a good thing we weren't like oh look at him advocating for himself by destroying things good job but we did recognize that it was not coming out of it actually wasn't coming out of anger it was coming out of fear and 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 in this lack of power, lack of power, and this yeah. frustration, and and all of these things. And so, as we watch as cities are burning and and people are lashing out, it is easy to go, "Why would you do that? Why are you acting like that? That you're not helping your cause." I think that we need to step back, like you're saying, and go and look at it and go, "Why? Why is this happening?" Why yeah. why did we let it get to a point where the only response you felt like you could do was this? Yeah. It doesn't mean that the looting is good. It doesn't mean that the fires are good. Obviously, everybody thinks that that's not good, right? People right. in that community probably despise that it's happening. Yeah. But they also are crying out. Right. And so telling them to not be mad and, and act in a certain way is still you not hearing what they're saying. Yeah. And so, so really what we need to do is go, okay, let's, let's put aside the reaction right. and go, 
what, how do we respond to what is actually being talked about through the wrong way of telling the story, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, very much, you know, as we experienced with this, this little kiddo, what, what happened was he was out of tools. He was Mm. out of tools to tell us what he needed. He had been trying, but he was out of tools to tell us. And I feel like that's what this looks like. We, you know, and I've seen a couple comments on Twitter, like, well, you know, in, in the, in the early times of civil rights, you know, you'd put a, you'd put a fist in the air for solidarity and then it was taking a knee and people didn't listen and they didn't care. Once you run out of tools, then what? Right. Right. And, and I think that it's, when you're, when you have the advantage of being able to make decisions for yourself, for your community, um, for your employer or employees, when you have that advantage, you have the responsibility to listen to the people that that influences. Right. And not build systems that are only reflective of your experience. Because that's what we've been doing, is the system builders built the systems that suited their perspective. Right. We need we need to build systems that that genuinely reflect the people in the system. Right. And that could be lots of systems. That could be the healthcare system or the education system and that that could be the you know the law enforcement system. The justice system. That could, you know. Right. But we have to stop making decisions without considering who's involved. Yeah. And stop pretending that sort of the old system was a good system that just needs a little tweaks. Right. And also realizing that, um, now this is going to sound kind of authoritarian, so I don't mean it this way, so I'll I'll explain it, but like that, because some people will be like, well, they have had control over this, 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 and this, and, and maybe they have, but they were not able to make the decisions or the choices because they weren't given the power and maybe in another area. Sure. Right. You know, yeah. like, so we don't, I, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for that, but like, essentially we, we, you have the ability to make decisions about your education, but we haven't educated you well enough in the last. That you actually have an option. That you actually have an option. Yeah. Right. It's like, something so you, we say to our kids, we expect you to get certain types of grades not because we value you having a particular GPA, but because that GPA opens the most doors. We want right. you to have the most open doors in front of you. Now, you get to pick which doors you go through. We're not going to dictate that, but we are going to do everything we can to make sure the doors are open in front of you. When we have an education system that you know produces 50% or less high school graduates, that, you know... I, allows students to promote when they're at, you know, three, four, five reading levels behind the average, like you, you aren't actually allowing people to have any choice. Right. You've robbed, a kindergartner does not get to make the choice of where they're going to go to college. And then we told them, go out and make better decisions within your community with financial, like, or, and, yeah. and all of these things. We're not going to teach you math, but go ahead and go run businesses and yeah. do that the right way and we'll penalize you if you don't. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's just, like, it's, 
yeah. ridiculous. Exactly. And so, so much comes back to, it isn't about changing one thing, right? right? And that is, that is sometimes, I think where, at least for you and I, because of the worlds we work in, we recognize the the global nature of how decisions play out, that it is not one, one change, oh, ta-da, it's everything that stems from it. It's not, let's stop the police from being as violent as they are. It's sure. actually much bigger than that, right? Yeah. It's how do we stop, you know, criminal law from being as punitive as it per- currently is? How do we right. stop? Or how disproportionately do we... f- yeah. lenient or hard. Right. Like your, your neighborhood should not dictate your sentence. Right. Your action should your your history, your action, that should dictate your sentence, but your neighborhood certainly shouldn't. Right. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, just to kind of wrap up. And we will we will uh, just so you know we will get into the idea of justice uh, from a biblical perspective in a deeper deeper way later on. We just wanted to when cover we're a this. little bit away from all of this. Yeah, when we, we can, like we yeah. wanted to cover this in a like a, a very quick way just as a response because again it's very close to home for us and some... talk about our personal experience yeah what we're learning what we're trying to learn yeah what and please if you are a listener who is a person of color and we've gotten something wrong tell us if you have an experience that you think will help us or other listeners learn and grow please tell us we we are teachable and we don't propose a solution, but we do promise to follow the lead of the people of color in our world as they propose the right solutions. We've, yeah, that is the conclusion we've come to for this moment is that we are absolutely willing to hear. We will not dismiss any story and we are teachable and willing to be led. I learn. I, I work with um, a couple of black women and um, even this last week, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I tend to be like, well, I don't have anything to say about this because I am, you know, this white male and I live in Washington state and, you know, my organization's in Georgia, yeah. right? And, uh, and I, we, there was a little bit of a discussion about what was going on. Yeah. And, and I just said, from our perspective, and I just said, like, this idea of like, oh, my heart's broken from this, this, and this, and this. And one of my coworkers said, she said, thank you for just saying that. I think that a lot of times and you know, as we get into like, what, what do we do? Right. Like, yeah. cause I feel this kind of like hands tied perspective at times. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like one of the things I learned from our good friends that, that are of color or of, uh, people, um, that are not from my background at yep. all, or grew up in different, very different cultures than yep. I did. Um, even if they're white, but grew up in very different, like socioeconomic standards, their worldview yep. is very yep. different. Hearing somebody's story makes such a huge difference. Yeah. Just stopping and going, I'm going to spend some time listening to you. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. And yeah. not, and even while they speak, not making, drawing my own conclusions, but literally just hearing people out. Yeah. Um, I think that we as a society have all of these tools to proclaim things. We have Twitter, Facebook, 
Um, Google Plus. Yeah. Instagram. Instagram, um, Google Plus doesn't exist anymore. Oh, Um, really? It hasn't for a while. (laughs) I'm not on top of this stuff. Sorry, guys. But but these are all platforms to push out our perspective. Twitter, right? Like, I'm going to tell people what I think about this. And yes, you can have a quote unquote conversation on there, but they literally are mainly built for you to spout off your point of view. Do you and, mean just like a podcast where you and I get to talk right. uninterrupted? <laughs> well, that's a little true. Okay. <laughs> but but like but it is an opportunity, right? And so that's why it's so important to have that conversation. Like yeah. we talked about um, a few weeks ago, the push push pull type of yeah. things and that authenticity. Yeah. If you do not create moments for authentic conversation with people, yeah. you will continue to hear the same thing and have confirmation bias and only have things around yeah. you that you already believe and it just reinforces it yeah so i think the next piece that you need to add to and you referenced you just referenced this that owning the heartbreak not not picking it up not pretending Mm. that this is this is our experience because it isn't but man when we have a kiddo in our house that has come from a family of abuse i cry with them and for them now i did not grow up with that but that doesn't mean that i can't be heartbroken to know that this little baby's squawking in that unique way because they're dealing with the pain of withdrawal. That doesn't mean that that doesn't break my heart. And, or whatever it happens to be, right? When one of my students admits to me that, that they were assaulted, I, I cry with them, even if it's not my story. And I think that this is an appropriate moment to be in tears, yeah. to be to be sick to your stomach for a community that has to be afraid of going for a run. I went for a run yesterday with our daughter and it, it hit me off and on as we covered the miles together. Mm. Like I'm, I'm just out here running and I brought my kid with, and I'm not scared at all. I'm on this beautiful trail with these gorgeous trees and we're out in nature and like people pass us on the path and I'm not worried about that. I smile and wave and we keep our six feet. But, but you know, every, every mile or so I think, my God, how, how lucky am I yeah. that this isn't scary for me? I'm tired. My legs hurt. But I'm not You're scared. You're not feeling for your life. You're not, no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not worried about who's going to pass me. And, I, you know, I brought my kid with me. I'm not scared about what's going to happen to her out here on this path. And and there were a few moments on that run where I was, like, I was out of breath, not for the run, but just for the weight of what would it feel like to not have access to this? And through no fault, of, simply by the community I happen to live in, we can never be in somebody else's shoes. We can never truly experience what they experience. Yeah. But that but doesn't I, mean we can't be genuinely heartbroken. It, yeah, it means yeah. that like we must live from a point of empathy. Yeah, we must live from a point of going. You know, I this isn't my story. The, this wasn't even my fault. Maybe directly, right? right? Like this wasn't even. I had nothing to do with this. However. The pains that people feel, and and especially as we get into we as Christians, we should feel this injustice. We should feel the injustice around us in a much deeper way than than other people. We should be appalled 
at when injustice happens because yeah. the Bible is about justice. The yeah. Bible, and, and, and uh, I just want to bring, I know you have something to quote, but I like, I, I looked up in uh, justice yeah. in the Bible because the Bible does talk about like acting justly, yeah. Micah 6, 8, you know, yep. like we, we, we you know. act justly, love mercy. Walk yeah. Humbly. And I looked up that word justly. What does that actually come from? And it yeah. actually comes from the word, um, let me see if I can find it here. It's like mispate. Yeah. And it actually means not what we oftentimes think, where we think it's uh, justice. We think of the the hands of justice that fall on people, you know, punishment for the things that they did wrong. But the justice that the Bible talks about is about making things right. How do you make things mm-hmm. in in the right place where God intended it? How do we view his creation yep. the way that he views his creation? Yep. How do we make sure they are treated and we are treated in a way that God would treat us and them? Yeah, that's perfect because actually oh. that's exactly, so I'm going to read a quote directly out of um, Scott McKnight's book, The Jesus Creed. Um, and he talks about that justice. It's Hebrew mishpat, M-I-S-H-P-A-T, mishpat. Um, it describes making something right. And then he goes on, I won't say because you did. Sorry. Biblically, the standard, and now I'm quoting from this book directly, page 145, if you want to look it up. The standard of justice for Jesus is the Jesus Creed. And the Jesus Creed, according to Scott McKnight, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's this little extension on um, the original creed. And so for Jesus, um, continuing, justice is about restoring people and society to the love of God and the love of others. This vision of restorative justice clobbers with a padded stick of love. Any retributive sense of justice, this is not revenge The follower of Jesus is to, quote unquote, hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, right? Righteousness is justice because Mm -hmm. it's putting things right. The Bible actually uses them interchangeably. And almost every time you see the word justice, you also see righteousness right after it. And it's because they are, like you said, interchangeable. So it's not righteousness as in, I am so holy and correct, which is often how we think about it, right? The righteous oh, the righteous are among the few, the narrow road, right? No, it's those who live rightly, who Hmm. it is the, right? They are correct in line with what God asked for them. Okay, so back to the quote from Scott McKnight. Um, The the follower of Jesus is to, quote unquote, hunger and thirst for righteousness, justice. But that justice is defined by the Jesus creed, not the U.S. Constitution or other book of law or our own cultural values, which often dictate what we view as justice. Yep. Um, No, but by the Jesus Creed. To get things right in our world, according to Jesus, is to love others and work for a system that expresses such love. Mm. And I feel like that's a mic drop. It is a good mic drop. Right. So, so um, again, we we chose this topic because it was timely. Um, it is weighing on personal. us. It's personal. Yeah. Um, and it's unfolding around us. And yeah. I would challenge you, no matter where your um, background is, where your faith is, where your um, 
where your voices or where your thoughts are in this place, but begin to look at the people around you for what they are. Listen to their stories, hear what they have to say. Um, Look to make things right in any way that you can, in the small ways that you can. And we as a society, but we as individuals cannot stand for this anymore. Agreed. And I think since this is a strange episode anyways, um, I can't imagine we will do this many times, but I would love to pray um, as we close. That's great. Is that cool? All right. Savior, um, we repent. We repent for allowing your people to be treated as something less than human. We beg for mercy for the systems that we participate in and allow to exist that dehumanize, minimize, marginalize your image-bearing creations that we are called to be in community and family with. Forgive us, open our eyes. Lord, we pray for justice, for justice for um, the families that have experienced loss in the last couple months, for the communities that are experiencing loss. Lord, put things right. Use people who stand in advantage. Speak to their hearts that they would know what to do to put things in motion. And Lord, give us quiet spirits and listening ears to hear the stories of the people, your image-bearing people, that are being treated as less than image-bearing people. Let us hear their stories and weep with them and then do everything we can to follow their lead into a system that honors them correctly, rightly, with righteousness and justice and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. To join the conversation, like and subscribe, then find us on Instagram at Bread and Cup Podcast. You can also find us at our website and other social platforms linked in the show notes.